We are uh, one week away from Christmas Day. Christmas falls on a Sunday this year. And just so there's no confusion, we will be meeting next week, okay? On Christmas morning, 8.30 in the morning, we will be here worshiping God. I hope you're here as well. The only difference will be there will be no classes next week. We're going to worship together at 8.30 and then go home and spend some time with our families but here at 8.30, there will be a staff nursery. There will be Bible hour uh, during worship next week. We're going to do a little more singing, a little less preaching uh, next Sunday. Amen? So, uh, yeah. Um, and I'll go, I'm going to go ahead and say this. For you parents that are here with small children especially, a year from now, two years from now, your kids will not remember what they got for Christmas next week. But they will never forget that they came to church on Christmas morning. So I am really going to uh, challenge you and encourage you all to be here. Bring your kids. It's going to be hard. I know. I get it. But it matters. So, yeah, seven days away. Question. Show of hands. How many of you have finished all of your Christmas shopping? You are done. Wow. Amazing. All you overachievers, congratulations. <laughs> How many of you have not bought a single thing yet for Christmas? Wow. You know, there's probably someone sitting beside you who you're supposed to buy something for. But uh, yeah, I'm surprised so many people haven't bought anything for Christmas yet. Or maybe you're like me. You just get your wife to buy everything on your list, and then you put your name on it. Yeah, yeah, see? It is a system that has worked well in our family for a long time now. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, gift buying used to be such a hassle. And then Amazon. Yeah, Amazon is amazing. I mean, you can shop for your Christmas list at 2 o'clock in the morning on your couch wearing your pajamas, and it shows up by lunchtime. Amazon is something else. But regardless of when you shop or where you shop, how you shop, I think we would all agree gift-giving this time of year is really stressful. It's incredibly stressful. You know, you're wondering, okay, at the office, um, who do I need to give a gift to and who can I pass? gave a gift to me last year, so who do I need to give a gift to? How far down the family tree do we go with gifts? You know, how much do I spend on somebody? Well, how much did they spend on me last year? I keep track things. Or maybe you find out that your wife has got you this amazing present, and all you got her was like a Chick-fil-A gift card. <laughs> Which, for the record, Chick-fil-A gift card is an excellent gift. My wife loves Chick-fil-A gift cards. At least, I think she does. I'm hoping she does. So, yeah. But gift giving is stressful. And as I mentioned at the very beginning here, the irony is we don't really remember what we got or what we gave a year from now, five years from now. And we just can't remember. We, we stress so much about giving gifts that... Then we forget about them. The reality is every 
just about at least every gift that you have ever given, every gift that you have ever received is going to be trashed. Or it's going to end up in a closet somewhere in the attic. I've got a drawer in my garage full of old electronics. And they were all pretty cool at the time. They were all kind of cutting edge. Now they're obsolete. I don't even know what cords go to them anymore. And you wonder, why do you save them then? Because I do. I might need it someday. But, you know, it's just stuff that, I, and I've said this so many times, every material thing I own is junk. It just hasn't gotten there yet. I mean, all the things that we give, all the things that we receive, sooner or later, it's going to be useless. They just lose their sense of wonder. The gifts that you're going to give next week, the gifts that you're going to receive, it won't be long before that gift loses its sense of wonder. That toy that your kids are so excited to have, you'll probably be selling in a yard sale in July. You know, it just won't be that special to them anymore. But there is one gift that was given, one gift that has been received that for over 2,000 years has stood the test of time. And that's the gift of Jesus. We're in this series, Home for the Holidays. This morning I want to talk to you about the wonder of Christmas. It is the most wonderful time of the year, right? It's what the song says. Wonderful. Full of wonder. But I think maybe we misuse that word, or at least overuse that word. We're so used to saying wonder, wonderful, that it's sort of lost its meaning to us. I feel like Indigo Matoya when he says, you keep using that word. I don't think that word means what you think it means. We, we overuse the word wonder, wonderful. But it's actually a big word with a really big meaning. It's defined this way. A feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. That's an amazing definition of a pretty amazing word. And I, I read that definition... And I can't help but think that we've sort of cheapened that word a little bit. It doesn't mean what we think it means, or it means more than we think it means. In 1921, the Taggart Baking Company from Indianapolis, Indiana, began a marketing campaign where they flooded the market with newspaper ads, magazine ads, radio ads that said simply, experience the wonder, May 21st. And that's all they said in their ads. Experience the wonder, May 21st. They sent out postcards. They put up billboards. They did what was one of the first telemarketing uh, efforts. And the message was always the same simple message. Experience the wonder, May 21st. And it was one of the very first ad campaigns, kind of the teaser, you know. And it worked. It generated tremendous excitement, tremendous curiosity about what was this great product that was about to be introduced. It was going to be so wonderful. The brand was developed by a vice president in charge of marketing, a guy by the name of Elmer Klein, and his marketing was inspired by the balloon race, the international balloon race that he saw firsthand at the Indianapolis Speedway that year. And Klein wrote that he was filled with wonder at the scene of so many hot air balloons filling the sky, creating a kaleidoscope of color. 
He saw red, yellow, and blue balloons. And he was so inspired by the sight of all those balloons that he decided he wanted balloons to be part of his marketing campaign. And this new wonderful product was going to have balloons on the packaging. And so on May 21st, 1921, Wonder Bread was first introduced to the world. Now, I don't know how you get from balloons to bread, but Elmer Klein did it. Introduced a, a bread that he called Wonder Bread. It was wonderful. And the thing that made his bread so wonderful was when you took it out of the package, it was sliced. Wonder Bread in 1921 introduced the first sliced bread. And ever since 1921, when something new and great has been introduced, we say, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I have no idea what they said before May 21st, 1921. But ever since, we say, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. But I look again at that definition of wonder. A feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. Can we really attach that definition to bread? Personally, I think this is the best time of the year to rethink the word wonder. Because the gift of Jesus never loses its wonder. And this morning I want to try to do justice to that word as we think about it in the context of Jesus coming to this world. So let's go back to where it all started. The Gospel of Luke. I keep telling you, we're going to get to the Gospel of Luke in this series, and here we are. To a young girl by the name of Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be frightened, the angel told her, for God has decided to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son, and you're to name him Jesus. Do you think Mary was surprised? Do you think Mary was filled with a sense of admiration because of something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, inexplicable? Do you think Mary was filled with a sense of wonder when this angel told her what was going to happen and her part in the whole event? Yeah, she was filled with wonder. Nothing could have prepared this young girl for what she was told, what she was being asked to do, what it would mean. And of course, Mary knows how babies are born. And she knows that her relationship with her fiancé, Joseph, has been pure. But it's amazing how the prospect of a child can change your life. The prospect of a child can change your perspective. Martha and I have three grown children. We have three grandchildren. Before I was a father, I always wondered... Why did Jesus come to this earth as a baby? I mean, if the Son of God was going to come to this earth, if God was going to send His Son to this earth to reconcile us, to save us, 
why didn't he just show up as a full-grown man? Why didn't he just walk into town one day, teaching and, and preaching? Why spend 30 years in relative obscurity? I mean, it just seems like time wasted. But after I became a father, my theology shifted a little bit. And after I held my children, my question shifted to, why wouldn't he come as a baby? I mean, it is for sure the most tender, most gentle way to, you know, to, to show up. But when you hold a newborn baby, you can't, be, you can't help but be filled with a sense of awe and a sense of wonder. I mean, are, are you ever filled with a sense of awe or wonder about anything anymore? Well, think about it. What moves you? What, what elicits emotions in your heart? What makes you be filled with wonder? Let's go back to our story in Luke. Chapter 2, and while they were there, there being Bethlehem, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first son, child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the village inn. And of course, that's the story that everybody is telling this time of year. We read it in books. We see it even on television. We sing about it. And we always kind of get this impression, at least I always did, thinking of this scene the way uh, you know, we tell it today, that it was this quaint little uh, stable, and Mary looked fantastic. She was backlit by a lantern, and she looks down at this beautiful little baby who was wrapped up in clean cloth, and she's laying him in this hypoallergenic you know, manger. There's a donkey leaning over the rail, nodding his head and smiling. Isn't that kind of the image that we kind of forget sometimes? Two weeks ago in Mark Villinger's class over here on Wednesday night, uh, we watched as the video series The Chosen uh, portrayed that scene. It was dark. It was dirty. Mary was scared to death. Joseph was panicked. There was nowhere clean for Mary to lie down. There was nowhere clean to lay the baby. They're scraping manure off the dirt floor. I'm sure that's closer to the reality of having a baby in a barn in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. It was painful. It was dangerous. It was terrifying. You know, the reality of it all the humanity of it all, the divinity of it all, the Son of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the Messiah, Savior, came to this earth as a baby. Just like my little girl Maggie and my boys, Will and Nate, just like your children came to this earth a baby. The wonder of a small child. What a tremendous gift. But of course, this wasn't just any child. This was the Son of God. And oddly enough, the very first people to witness this wonder, to hear about it, 
wasn't rulers, it wasn't politicians, it wasn't kings, it, it wasn't noblemen or even priests. It's a ragtag group of shepherds who were working that night. That night some shepherds were in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. And of course, the prophecy was that he would be Emmanuel, God with us, coming down to us to be with us. That's the miracle of Bethlehem. That's the wonder of Christmas. And maybe some of you need to hear that this morning. That Jesus is with us. He's not out of touch. He's not distant. He's not removed. He's not unaware. He's not an absentee father. He's never too busy. He's not ashamed of you. He's not embarrassed by you. He won't neglect you. He won't abandon you. He won't abuse you. He was with you when you woke up this morning. When you put your head on your pillow tonight, guess what? He's going to be with you. We're here today to worship him. He's here with us. God with us. He was with my wife and I when we gave birth. She gave birth, but I was there to our three children. I needed him there. He was with us when we sat in the room and said goodbye to my father. We felt him. We talked about his presence. He's with you during the adoption process. He's with you during the divorce hearing. He's with you in the surgeon's waiting room, in the dialysis room, during the chemotherapy treatment. He's there. He's with you as you walk down the wedding aisle. Emmanuel, God with us. When you're trying to pray and you don't know exactly how to pray, he's there with you. When other people walk out, he walks in. He doesn't get distracted. He doesn't take a day off. That's our God. That's the promise. But would you believe that that's not even the best part of the promise? That's not even the most wonderful thing about the promise. The best thing is, not only is he present, he is powerful. That's why those who know him best describe him as almighty. There's no situation that he can't handle. He never finds himself between a rock and a hard spot. He never gets in over his head. That's our Lord. You remember God's word to Mary spoken through the, the uh, angel Gabriel in chapter 1 of Luke. You will become pregnant and have a son. And you're to name him Jesus. And then he goes on to say this. He will be very great. and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. He's strong. He's capable. 
He is awesome. He is wonderful. But Bethlehem was just the beginning. Jesus actually promises a, an encore performance. John puts it this way at the very end of the New Testament in Revelation chapter 21. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, the home of God is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will remove all their sorrows and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. For the old world and its evils are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. Maybe the most wonderful part of this whole story is the fact that the best is yet to come. That baby that was born in a manger, he didn't stay a baby. He was king, lord, savior. And he accomplished everything that he came to earth to accomplish. So, one more time. Wonder. A feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. The wonder of Bethlehem, it's not just that God loved us. It's the expression of the love. The incredible links that God went to to reconcile us. How desperately God wants us home with him. I want to wrap up this morning by showing you a video clip. Some of you will recognize it. It made the rounds on social media several years ago. It's actually in German, so you're going to have to do some reading here. Um, it advertises a German supermarket, kind of the Publix of Germany, apparently. So you know what to expect a little bit, um, but it's pretty powerful. It, it's about a, a father. I never told. Hallo Papa, ich bin. Ich wollte nur kurz anrufen und dir Bescheid geben. Wir werden es Weihnachten dieses Jahr wieder nicht schaffen. Wir versuchen es nächstes Jahr und dann klappt es ganz bestimmt. Fröhliche Weihnachten, Papa. Bis bald. There goes a day, there goes a week So many goals I had to reach The more I did, the less I cared The more I missed the love you've shared If life is a song, somehow it's sad I don't know the words without your dad You've been on my mind all the time And I miss saying you to be just some walls that I know but the truth is that home means nothing without you Wie hätte ich euch denn sonst alle zusammenbringen sollen?
That father in the video was so desperate to have his kids home with him for Christmas that he went to elaborate lengths, extravagant measures to get his kids to come home. He faked his own death so that his children would come home for Christmas to be together. And I was thinking in some ways, you know, that's exactly what God has done. He went to elaborate lengths, did the unthinkable in order to have us home. But the difference between that father in the video and our Heavenly Father is that our Heavenly Father is not some tottering old man who's trying to manipulate or trick or deceive anyone. He's not to be pitied. He's to be feared. He's to be worshipped. He didn't fake anything. Instead, he sent his only son to this earth to be born as a baby in a barn in Bethlehem, to grow up, to be despised, to be rejected, to wind up on a Roman cross with one goal in mind, to bring us home. For some of you this morning, it's time to come home. Or maybe it's time to come back home, to re-engage with the wonder of Christmas, the beautiful, unexpected, inexplicable gift of Jesus. And for those of us who are home, at least here on earth, God wants us to live in the anticipation of something still better to come. In this time of year, everybody's celebrating the birth of Jesus. I'm happy to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But let's not fail to also celebrate the wonder of the life and the death of Jesus and the promise of heaven, the wonder of the story, the entire story, the wonder of Bethlehem, the wonder of Calvary, the wonder of an empty tomb, the wonder of a home with, with God in heaven. God with us. Emmanuel, this morning, it's time to come home. Let's go ahead and be standing, and we're going to sing.